There we go. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom York. I'm from Oceana Capital Management, and we're an independent registered investment advisory located in New Jersey. Welcome to another episode of our podcast series called Ask the Expert. Today, we're going to discuss some important, but very often neglected, documents you should consider after your child becomes an adult. Perhaps we should title this discussion Lessons from the Pandemic. We want to highlight today some important issues you will face before you can legally help your adult children if they are away from home. Our expert today is Jason Wyatt, an attorney from Bennett and Wyatt who specializes in estate law in New Jersey. Jason will address and try to help us answer some key questions about often neglected situations to consider once your child becomes an adult in the eyes of the law. Full disclosure, Jason has recently completed these documents for my own adult children. Now, Jason, you're the expert, so to get things started for our listeners, why don't we start with a few simple questions. First, at what age are your children considered adults? It's a great question, Tom. Uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, it, a really interesting question in my book. I remember taking classes years and years ago, decades ago now, as a law student, a series of classes called Children in the Law. And one of the things that they really hammered home in those classes are the kind of make-believe rules we make up for young adults in various legal arenas regarding an age that's kind of picked out of, you know, thin air to be the magical age on which the child becomes an adult. Like something happens the moment the candles are blown out on the the 18 candles are blown out on the 18th birthday that switches from being a person who has very little in terms of uh, legal rights to a person with the full-fledged rights of an adult. But that's the, the framework for most of our law that there is some magical age where people become adults. Um, in my world, the two ages we see most commonly are 18 and 21, uh, depending on what we're talking about. If, for instance, in New Jersey, 18 is the age uh, at which a person is old enough to legally inherit assets from an estate or trust, uh, while age 21, in a somewhat awkward sort of way, is the New Jersey age for the termination of a UTMA or UTMA, Uniform Transfer to Minors Act account, custodial account, essentially. Um, you know, but there are other ages in the law that you see from time to time, like 17 for a driver's license or, um, you know, things like that. But uh, for the purposes of our conversation, you know, those are the ages that we look at 18 for the most part and a little bit less so 21. You know, this brings up something that we've seen described a lot lately as your adult children becoming legal strangers. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah, this is kind of strange. It's a, it's part of what I was just describing. It's this strange concept that, um, if, uh, the, magical date occurs on the 18th birthday prior to which you as a parent had pretty, it's not complete authority over that child, but very close to it. You never, you know, have to explain to a doctor why they should give you information. You would never have to run any kind of, uh, paperwork, you know, procedural, uh, hurdles. You haven't had to run through any of those at the school to get information. And then magically on the eight, on that 18th birthday, everything changes that your, 
child becomes no different than a stranger on the street in terms of your ability to retrieve personal information in the medical or financial contexts from anywhere. So it's, it's awkward because the relationship doesn't change magically that day. You know, it's still a child, parent-child relationship emotionally, but legally they become equivalent to a stranger on the street in terms of the, your access to information as a parent and your control over their affairs for the most part. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, what sort of legal documents are important to get in place? Yeah. So the answer to, well, what do we do about this? And maybe unfortunate kind of framework in the law where, you know, my own child becomes the same as a stranger legally on that 18th birthday is, well, you need things in writing, right? The, the, the representation verbally uh, that you are a parent, uh, even presentation of legal documents showing you're a parent birth certificate or something like that is not going to get you anywhere once the child is 18. So the umbrella concept is really uh, all under the power of attorney uh, heading that the some of the documents don't actually use the, the name or label power of attorney, although some do. Uh, the, the general ones that we recommend is a, a document to cover financial, businessy, paperwork type of issues. Uh, we label that a financial power of attorney. And then two documents that cover the medical sphere. Um, one would be a, kind of a end of life document. New Jersey's name for it is uh, Living Will Advanced Directive for Healthcare. Uh, and there are a couple of different versions of that but it generally pertains to end of life care only. And obviously you hope you never need that, but um, better that a child has it in place and doesn't need it than vice versa. And the other is a medical power of attorney for non end of life related medical issues. Um, both of those medical documents would have HIPAA waiver language in them, which is probably the most important component for a child, you know, to allow the free flow of information between a young adult and a parent, particularly if they're away at school um, or away from, uh, far, you know, distance-wise from their parents at a job or an internship or anything like that, um, just to have the ability to have information flow freely between, for instance, a, a treating team at a hospital and a uh, set of parents um, who, who are trying to assist or oversee what's going on with their with their child so those are the three core documents for a young adult that you know folks should consider and that i'd also maybe posit that you know while you're there at the lawyer's office reviewing or, or executing those documents that the young adult should also consider a uh, last will and testament as well hmm. well you know, that brings up some issues that we faced uh, as parents with uh, kids going to college, which is um, in some places you can get the attention of the infirmary, if you will, if someone's there for uh, a relatively um, small sickness. But if there were something um, larger that happened, like for instance, in, in this pandemic uh, that forced the child to go to uh, a local hospital, it wouldn't be so warm and fuzzy at that point, I guess. Yeah, I think there's some general corollary there. You, the, you know, what do you want to call it? The venue matters to some degree, if, especially if you don't have documents, you know, um, a local doctor's office that you're, 
your adult child is going to, you know, maybe would even give them a form to fill out and say, hey, do you want to give your parents, you know, uh, a HIPAA waiver so we can talk to them in case of an emergency and a child might fill that out. You know, next step, you know, slightly less friendly might be the university, infirmary or healthcare center, maybe at smaller colleges or certain places, universities that they might um, look the other way or be more willing to divulge information like you said, it might depend on how serious the scenario is. Um, but if you take another step and go to a hospital unconnected to the university, you know, you're probably going to get black letter HIPAA law applied there. Um, although I wouldn't guarantee that necessarily. The point is that HIPAA applies in all three of those uh, venues, right? It applies at the local doctor's office, applies at the university healthcare center or infirmary, and it applies at the hospital. Um, how it is practiced on the ground by healthcare representatives, you know, doctors and nurses and social workers and so on. You know, we see wide variance on that. I tell clients it's a little bit like the wild, wild west. You may get somebody on the third floor of the hospital who enforces the details of HIPAA to the nth degree. You may get somebody on the fourth floor of the hospital who totally ignores it. Um, but of course, you know, you would want to have ideally documents in place that would cover no matter what the scenario was, how strict or liberal the application of the HIPAA rules might be, you have documents that, you know, will work. Um, so yeah, it just depends on the exact situation. Well, it's clearly very important for a child who turns 18, particularly if going away to college for um, a number of months and, uh, you know, hundreds of miles away. The other thing, um, getting to the, the um, financial power of attorney, there's probably some um, reasons to have that in place when your child goes to college as well. Um, you want to take a shot at that? Yeah, so stepping away from the medical for a minute, we see a lot of clients, um, you know, who uh, they don't have any medical issues, but it just becomes a matter of convenience for the young adult child to allow the parents to manage some part of their financial well-being or, or affairs, um, be, usually because of geography, right? Either the school is far away and the, the you know, family has local you know, tax and financial help, you know, financial advisory firm or CPA or somebody like that. And if the child is you know, going to school in California, not eat that easy for them to interface with the, you know, local Central Jersey uh, financial team. Uh, even take it to another degree. We you know, we we have adult client, uh, adult child clients who they're doing a semester or a year abroad in uh, somewhere overseas, uh, Hong Kong, Australia, even you know Europe to wherever, uh, South America, Africa. And very difficult, even with the internet today, to communicate, to file taxes on time, to, you know, file paperwork for continuation of scholarship or financial aid at the university. All this stuff that, you know, normally they would have to do for themselves once they reach age 18, the power of attorney would now um, potentially allow a parent to step in and say, well, I'm stateside, I can do these things. Uh, so it could just be a matter of convenience. Of course, also, if somebody has health problems, maybe they need components of their financial life uh, to be managed or assisted with. But, you know, the convenience factor can be huge. Uh, just, you know, having that document in place can really be a lifesaver and 
situations like that. Oh, we forgot we have to file taxes. Well, you know, we're away in Australia for the year for study abroad. Yeah, that would be a little bit of an issue. Um, you mentioned having a will. I mean, I'm sure most people will say, well, why should my, my children have a will? They're young, they don't have any assets. Yeah, and that's probably the, the initial response we get from a lot of, um, not even the parents, the, the kids themselves, so to speak, the young adults, they say, well, what, do I really need that? I mean, I don't, you know, I've got $600 in my checking account and that's it. Um, and, you know, the response is, well, it's up to you. It's a la carte, you know, kind of uh, ordering system, if you will. But here are the reasons to consider it. So the first reason is that sometimes you need an executor even when there aren't assets. Uh, you need somebody in charge of that estate that can be to handle creditors if there are actually, you know, if the estate is insolvent, if a child dies with debt. You know, how do you discharge those creditors so they stop knocking on everybody's doors and calling relentlessly and so forth? Uh, the second is if the child died, and this happens with younger people, if the child died unexpectedly at the fault of a third party, right? Car accident, um, so, you know, a uh, medical malpractice, um, something even more general, you know, somebody um had a party on a place that wasn't safe and somebody got hurt or fell to their death or something crazy like that you know things but things that you hear about from time to time happening at colleges and so forth um fraternities and dorms that weren't up to code you know fires that occurred when the landlord uh, in the college town wasn't following following zoning stuff like that there's a lawsuit right and if the, if the young adult child is deceased, uh, they obviously can't bring the lawsuit as a plaintiff on their own behalf. So they need uh, an executor to bring that lawsuit for them. And it can be, you can be big dollars at stake there, you know, um, from a plaintiff's attorney's perspective, I don't do this, but I know people who do, you know, uh, a, a child in college who's pre-med uh, who gets, you know, killed at a young age to the fault of a third party is likely to, you know, that's, that's a big lawsuit versus, you know, a 97 year old who might get killed. You know, they value the potential lifetime earnings and things like that as part of those cases. So to have an executor in place who can handle and prosecute uh, the plaintiff's actions can be important. But then third and probably most practically is just the idea that an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old they may not have too much money on their own in that moment, but we see a life cycle to young adults where, you know, your first salary out of college may not be very high, but within a short span of a few years, generally that earning capacity ramps up. A lot of times they start to uh, have a little bit of money in the savings account, 401k that they're contributing to at work. Uh, maybe they get life insurance, uh, at, you know, one and a half or two times their salary as a perk at work. And suddenly if that person dies, they might have, you know, not a huge estate, but a meaningful one, you know, whether it's 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, but, it, but the point is it goes up quickly. So if you're there in the office doing the other documents, it's somewhere between age 18 and whatever, 22, 23, 24, throw a will into the mix because it may be another decade or more 
before that young person is back in a lawyer's office redoing their estate plan. You know, it may not be until they're 37 and I've had two kids about next time they're actually doing an estate plan. And in the meantime, their uh, net worth might go from not much to something fairly meaningful. Yeah, I can see that with some of my my own children, which is to say, um, after they graduate, they're out there in the workforce and um, they're saving money in 401ks, they're getting raises, they're getting bonuses. And, you know, before you know it, they definitely accumulate, um, you know, a decent amount of wealth uh, that they perhaps hadn't really even considered themselves earlier on. And as you mentioned, if if their um, company pays them two times their annual salary for uh, a death benefit, it could be something fairly significant in a relatively short period of time. And as we all know, these are documents you kind of do once and leave in place for uh, a number of years. So, you know, if, if you're doing this other stuff, I guess it really just makes sense to go ahead and do the will because it'll be in place for um, a long period of time. Um, well, finally, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, your business is typically an in-person process. So how are you dealing with it during the pandemic? Yeah, we are, um, you know, we've had to be nimble like a lot of industries and, and uh, Zoom and FaceTime and Skype and all those video conferencing uh, technologies have been useful. Uh, a process that used to involve two to three in-person meetings uh, culminating at the last one or the last part of the last one with the document executioners, you know, signing, um, We've moved everything but the signing to Zoom calls or even phone calls um, as a, you know as a social distancing technique. And in some ways it's worse, in some ways it's better. Um, I find particularly for young adult clients, it's much better. Um, the problem with young adult clients often is just getting their attention and fitting the meetings and the discussions into their schedule when they kind of you know, it's not a, it's not a hot, hot item for them. It's not on the front burner. Uh, so fitting multiple trips to the lawyer's office, especially trying to fit it in, are they going to do it on spring break? Are they going to do it in the summer? Are they going to do it, you know, when they're home for Christmas, it just becomes a scheduling headache that if we can use, you know, the, the Zoom type technology, now they can do it whenever, you know, so it's much easier for them to fit it into their schedule. And therefore, much easier for them to proceed and get it done. So, you know, some of our, uh, the standard operating procedures that we've had to alter for all clients during the pandemic actually lend themselves well to um, the technologies that we've had to adopt because of the pandemic, you know, to, for, for those younger clients to do their, uh, their estate planning. The Actual signing of documents, however, is still something that requires wet ink signatures. We cannot docu-sign wills. Uh, there's no e-signature for wills and powers of attorney and so forth. And even in states, including New Jersey, where emergency legislation was passed to allow uh, a version of online notarization for various legal documents, um, a lot of those states, including New Jersey, have done that. But a lot of the documents that we do for estate planning, while notarized, also require non-notary witnesses. And there were no allowances made for non-notary witnesses to view the execution of documents 
uh, via Zoom or via FaceTime or any other video conferencing technology. So we still have to meet with clients at the end of the day to sign those documents, but we've been able to streamline that into a five or 10 minute curbside meeting. Um, I had one client come and he said, well, this week has been an unbelievable. I got my pizza curbside, I got my groceries curbside, and now I got my will and my trust curbside. Um, and we all chuckled and it was true. And uh, we were blessed. We didn't realize this when we uh, took out our office space years ago, but we, our parking lot is uh, 80% covered. So we've been able to do document signings in the middle of snowstorms and rainstorms without any problem. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the windshield serves as a pretty good barrier between, uh, you know, the, us and our clients. So I think it's a pretty low risk interaction and the client is in and out in five or 10 minutes. Um, so, you know, we've had to be a little bit nimble, but um, it's working. It's working just fine. And some people really like it, you know, some miss having the handshake and I do too, but other clients, especially those who are, uh, have time crunch, you know, situations in their life, they work, they have little kids, they are one of these young adults, you know, having it be able to be done from home, except for that five minute signing can be pretty convenient. So that's kind of how we've been handling the, the pandemic. It's been not something I ever envisioned that we'd be doing, but, you know, it does work fairly well. Drive through legal advice. How about that? Exactly. Well, let me just see if I can summarize. It would seem that the uh, medical directive would be really important for someone who's turning 18 and going to college uh, further away. Having the um, financial directive would certainly just dovetail with that nicely because if they should take a, a year and go to Australia, we can still pay their taxes and cover the bounce checks, et cetera. And, mm -hmm. But then while we're doing all that, we might as well just put a will in, will in place because we know that you're probably not going to come back and do that after college uh, anyway. And if you get it in place while you're doing the other two documents, then you've got something that can cover you well into your you know, early 30s, for instance. And so I think that would seem to me kind of summarize it. Did I, did I miss anything? I think that's a perfect way of putting it. You know, when I was in law school studying all the esoteric stuff that you study as the background for why these laws exist and how they came to be written, all the Supreme Court cases and, and things like that that have occurred. I never thought that someday, I, in a way, that what I sell, if I, you know, to the degree that I sell anything, it's almost a type of insurance. You know, it's insurance against headaches, it's insurance against tragic scenarios. And a lot of times you kind of, you know, clients pay for these documents and, and hope that they never need them or don't need them for a really long time. And that's true. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's the idea. What you're paying for is insurance that you pay one time. It never renews. The premium never needs to go up. You know, it's good for five, 10, 15 years. That's how we try to write the documents. Then it's pretty low, a low bar, you know, for that young adult. And I should add that a lot of parents do pay for these documents to be put in place for their children, but that notwithstanding who's paying the bill, you know, the, the children, the, the adult child is the client and the, the parent does not, you know, have the right to uh, dictate what goes into those documents. The, the child and I still have attorney client privilege um, unless the child wants to waive it. They get to, you know, make their own decisions and decide what, what they want. And, you know, sometimes they choose to involve the parents in multiple ways inside the details of those documents. Other times they look 
elsewhere in the family to, you know, maybe siblings or um, cousins or, you know, people that they feel more more age appropriate to do uh, certain things or play certain roles. And I can't control that. That's, uh, you know, that's up to the adult child to make those decisions. Parent can coach, a parent can, you know, influence to a certain degree, but there's, you know, still a separate representation for that child. And we, we very normally, Tom, represent um, multiple family members on separate representations when we practice a type of law like we do. Uh, if they're all waivable conflicts of interest to the degree that they are potential conflicts of interest, as long as everybody's aware of the, all the relationships and, you know, we have paperwork that, that people need to sign saying, you know, I'm aware that you represented somebody in my family before and that I have a choice of attorney, but I've chosen to, you know, use you as my attorney because I, I think it was a good fit and, you know, I'm not being forced to do this. It's my own free wish, you know, waivers like that are important for me to cover, you know, my backside, but um, it, it, it is true that the child is, is their own client when they put together this kind of insurance package of estate planning documents. Well, the nice thing, as you said, is a one shot and you're done. And I think everyone can understand that, you know, uh, each adult is their, your client and that there's no um, uh, reason why you should discuss this client uh, or any other client um, right. in this particular you know, situation. Well, listen, Jason, thank you for you, uh, your participation. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure our listeners are gonna find it both educational and informative. And um, guys, if you should like to reach out to Jason directly, uh, his website is www.bennettwyatt.com, bennettwyatt.com. And we at Oceana Capital Management specialize in helping clients with thoughtful financial planning. And you can learn more about us at our website, www.oceanacap.com. And thanks for listening. Please check our website for other informative blogs, videos, and podcasts. And please note that this presentation does not represent an offer to buy or sell securities and that Oceanic Capital Management does not provide tax or legal advice. And today's guest, although an attorney, does not mean to oversimplify any legal situation as every family situation is different. So thanks again for listening. Until next time.